All right, so welcome to episode three of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I'm T. And I'm B. And so just before we get started, just wanted to note that we are now available on a number of podcast platforms, so you can download us from there if you want. And also we set up a Facebook group. So if you do a search for I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, you'll see a Facebook page and you can interact with each other or interact with us, which no one has done either of yet. It's early days. It's early days. That's fine. But uh, we do encourage you to share with your friends when you do hear this. Anyone who might identify it or be interested, um, flick it on to them. You never know. Yeah, cool. Um, We've got two dogs with us who we are trying to settle. So if you hear them moaning and groaning, apologies in advance. Um, But today we thought we were going to talk about end times, last days, um, end of the world. I thought a good title for this would be The End of the World as We Know It. And and we do we do love a bit of REN, both yes. of us. So <laughs> Indeed. Losing My Religion is um although it's not about religion apparently, <laughs> is one of my um one of my favourite tracks. So that is yeah, great. Cool. cool McCool. All right, so let's talk about prophecy then. So I thought we'd start with you, V. Why don't you talk about, you know, where you were at before you came into church in terms of end times and prophecy and all that kind of thing yeah for me like prophecy was something that um i really connected with i used to love i had this book called unexplained mysteries and it had things like the yeti um loch ness monster uh, bermuda triangle all those sort of things but also a feature in that was prophecies and, and obviously nostradamus was probably the biggest one and the one that people would identify with and for me nostradamus um it was frightening but exciting because all these things that were happening in my life, uh, not my life, but everybody's life in the 80s was seen through this lens of what Nostradamus had predicted. Uh, a big thing was nuclear war and the end of the world and it was just exhilarating but frightening and, um, you know, but I, it was one of those things I couldn't look away from. It was a bit of a, a train wreck for me because it was... It was something that I think the way that it was written, the way that it was interpreted um, was something that I connected with uh, because it, it did, you know, it did speak quite directly, well, the way it was written and interpreted spoke quite directly to me and the fear that I was feeling at the time because we did have all the Cold War stuff happening. We had, mm. um, you know, the, th- the real threat of nuclear war. I remember being obsessed for a while about building a bunker in the backyard. Not that I wanted to, but just hearing stories of people that were doing that all around the world. So for me, it was um, it was real and it was, a, it was a fear, but it was also something that really took my interest Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Excuse me, it's funny, isn't it? That they, the way that was sort of presented to us, on the one hand, created fear because it was saying this is what's going to happen. Yeah. But on the other hand, it made you sort of think, okay, but there's a bigger plan. There's something bigger than what we're experiencing. So there's, you know, like dare I say, God, but at least something beyond us that's sort of in control that's able to tell us this is what's happening and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's, I mean, I think it played into that teenage angst as well, you know, early to mid 80s is a time you're trying to work out your identity, um, trying to find your place in the world. And then this sort of stuff comes along. So, Mm. yeah. And, you know, society at large was very much caught up in the end times or at least nuclear war. Um, You know, there was shows like the Americans had this thing called The Day After, the British made one called Threads, which was all about nuclear war and what it's going to be like you know when it happens and and it's interesting because that actually 
pushed a lot of society, I think, to sort of go, oh, we don't really want to do this and, and sort of moved back away from it even. Yeah. Um, you know, people started pressuring the government and, you know, the, just the whole nuclear threat was huge. But, you know, I, I talked in one of our earlier sessions about how I was um, involved in this group called the Revival Centres, which was a cult. Um, I'm not going to harp on them for too long, but I will say that this was a big piece of their messaging, yeah. right, was, was nuclear war. And they'd quote the verses from Joel, the book of Joel, which was, you know, there would be blood, fire and pillars of smoke. Yeah. Um, and so I remember talking, and they would put that up and say, look, you know, this is basically painting a picture of nuclear devastation. They even go back, oh, the Hebrew word there is palm tree of smoke. Uh-huh. So it's like a huge palm tree. And I remember talking to a friend of mine and he said, every bomb has a palm tree of smoke. <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't say it's a giant palm tree of smoke. It was interesting that my friend actually said that to me. But nevertheless, I bought right into it. And yeah. there was another one that the revival centers were big on that was saying, oh, the Bible foretells, you know, mass transit in the end times. And I was like, oh, it does. And then one day I actually looked it up and it said something about men will run to and fro about the earth. Yeah. I was like, hold on. It doesn't say planes, trains and automobiles. No. It just says men's will run, men will run, you know, basically says they'll be a bit frenetic even, you know. I, so I reckon the world's always been like that. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people get anxious. So, you know, you go back and you look at some of these verses. Um, they're not really that clear, are they? No, no. And I, and I think, you know, for me, it resonates with the whole in university psychology classes. You know, we would speak about the Barnum effect. There's a sucker born every minute. And it's very much about that generalised message that people can hook onto and apply it quite easily. And you know, Like star signs. Like star signs, yeah. And look, if, if you believe that, that's fine and that's what does it for you. But for me, it's so general um, that anybody could make it a truth and make something from it. Mm. So uh, it's that sort of thing that I think they get people in with. Yeah. And it's funny you talk about there's one born every minute. I saw an atheist website once that its tagline was there's one born again every minute. <laughs> that is yeah. great. Um, yeah. So coming back to, to the revival centers, the, um, the end times was a big part of their messaging. And I can remember sitting with the, the same guy that told me all about how I needed to speak in tongues and be born again and everything. He actually started showing me the same day when I was on this camp. Um, about how the Bible was predicting the end of the world. And like you, I'd sort of looked at Nostradamus and these other kind of sort of more generic, less Christian kind of prophecies, if that's even a term, generic prophecy. Um, but yeah, looking at those, and I, 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 was, I was already quite keen on that, you know. And so coming back to, to hearing this was like, oh, wow, you know. And I think it tapped into the same thing again, which was that not only is this going to happen, which is scary... Yep. But God's in control, yeah, and it's all going to be okay in the end, you know, or at least will be okay, you know, poor suckers who who don't get born again. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny what you say about the um, yeah the less Christian prophets. I mean, people um, like a big thing at the moment is futurists, and you know they've always been around. But I've certainly gone and heard a couple of futurists speak, and I mean, if you looked at what they're saying, it's it's sort of like prophecy. It's it's a little bit speculative mm. about what's going to happen. But they talk about what we're moving into in the future. So I, I don't think prophecy is ne- necessarily a religious thing. It, there is definitely a big secular element to it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, it, it, it's funny too, though, because I was reading something just recently about how. The Christian sort of church t- 
turned the Old Testament, what you know they call the Old Testament prophets, prophets or the Hebrew prophets, into foretellers of Jesus and Jesus' return and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But actually, their message was lot much broader than that. Their message was actually more a critique, and their message was about social justice and a lack of social justice in the you know in Israeli or Israelite society and all that kind of stuff. And so it's interesting that the when the when the Jews look at this stuff and even modern Jews look at look at this stuff, they don't look at it as end times. Yeah. They look at it more as this is a reflection on Israel then. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, just just those different viewpoints. And again, to that generalism, I think yeah. in some sort of way. But yeah. um, you know, what what was your outside of the revival center? Did that was there other I guess end times type things that influenced you? Yeah, well, as a, I think it's fair to say, and this is why I, you know, I always want to sort of bring the Revival Centre picture in, because when I get into the Assemblies of God, which are now called the Australian Christian Churches, and part of that sort of became, my dog's making lots of noises here, sorry mm-hmm. about that, um, became uh, Hillsong as well. And, and I don't know how much this is all part of Hillsong, right, the end time stuff, possibly. But the... I was I was primed and I was conditioned. And so I, I want to sort of make that point because when you tell your story, having not gone through a cult before joining this group, yeah, um, you may have a different perspective, right? But definitely I was primed. And definitely I was told that, you know, the end times, we were living in the end times. Yeah. We're, we're actually in them. We're in them then. Um, and that Jesus's return was imminent. Yes. And you best be good. Yes. Because if you're not good... And he comes back in the twinkling of an eye, in the flash of a lightning bolt or whatever, you could actually miss out yeah. on heaven. Yeah, absolutely. It was a real fear. Um, but I think, you know, even though you were primed through a religious experience or a culture experience, I was primed through the Nostradamus stuff because mm. I connected with it. And mm. it was something that um, probably piqued my interest. I mean, I, I definitely was exposed to the whole end times, uh, the fear driven by that and I'd better get on board because these people knew what they were doing uh, they knew how to navigate the fact that we're in the end times and they had a bit of a, a road map and it was called the book of revelations yeah. uh, you know and I mean a, again that was you know it's a point of contention I think even at that time that there was a lot of different interpretations of revelations what it meant um, you know, definitely in fundamentalism it was taken very literally uh, so people were you know expecting jesus to come down in a cloud mm. um you know and and horses being ridden and all that mm. sort of stuff you know there's all these literal interpretation and i didn't i didn't know what to do with that i mean nostradamus was again people would extrapolate what they wanted from it and i think the same thing was happening in the the christian space i i definitely didn't get into it in a way that um i probably didn't even get into it as much as i did it around nostradamus because i just didn't like the fear that it um it drove but it was definitely a part of it and it was something that caused me to get on board a bit more because i just had to make sure that uh if yeah, i had to hedge my bets mm. essentially yeah sure so, yeah and, and you talked before we started recording you talked about how there were people to whom this was everything. Oh. This was this was their defining thing of their Christianity. It, it had pushed them to convert. Yeah. And now that they are in, this was the message, you know, even more than maybe sort of, you know, death and resurrection of Jesus and all that and forgiveness of sins, it was actually their message was turn or burn, you know, the end the end is nigh. Yeah, hundred um, percent. 
And I, I remember one of the earlier, probably in the first one or two years of um, my Christian journey, uh, there was a bunch of people that were going out and they were so convinced that they were going out to the local train station and what they called witnessing to people. So it was a sense of urgency telling them about Jesus and making sure that these people jumped on board and, and their, their message was very much we are in the end times. This thing that's around us right now could end at any minute. And if you don't have security, um, then you're going to hell. It's really so. There's a lot of fear driven, uh, and that I went to that once, and I just freaked out. Cause, so they were like a group. Yeah, it was a group. There's probably about a dozen of them. Um, were they were they going to other churches or were they in their own church? No, they're in their own church, and they were in the church I was involved in at the time, um, and. It was a very small group, and I guess they were supported by the church at large, but not supported so much to a point where everybody was going out. Mm. It was very much seen as these people were at the front line. They were in the trenches making sure that people were were saved. And mm. <laughs> it was, um, you know, I, I, as I, I think I said in um, you know, my conversion story, I was never really comfortable talking to people about my Christianity, about my journey, about... So for me, that was a whole new level of confrontation. Mm. Um, and that was not something that I was comfortable with all, at all. But I also saw a very ungraceful message. Yeah, which, sure. Which yeah, didn't sit well with me either. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, were there any names that, you know, you sort of associated with sort of end times, you know, sort of famous preachers or... Yeah, I think there was some... Um, probably the one that stands out was a guy called Barry Smith. Yeah. Um, he, he was a Kiwi, wasn't he? I think he was, yeah. And um, he was always touring and speaking and yeah. he'd be guest speaker at churches. He probably didn't really come to the fore for me until three or four years in. Uh, a lot of people talking about him going, this guy, is, he's there, he's on the money. Um, come and listen to him. So I did. I went with a couple of people to listen to him and I didn't make it halfway through. I... I just thought it was... It was yeah, such a rebel. <laughs> but I was, I, was, I was offended by the way he spoke and, and then some of it was just dumb. I remember him playing a minor chord on a keyboard that he had on the stage and said, for you musicians out there, never pay, play a minor chord like this because it will invoke the devil. <laughs> and I just went, are you fucking serious? Yeah. And I, I couldn't stay. Um the people I was with couldn't believe that I didn't want to listen any further, but uh, I disengaged. For me, that was a bit of a tipping point. I went, no. Nah. I, I think I think that testifies to the fact that you had a lot more critical reasoning engaged than I did. You know, because I I, I didn't I you know I would go along to these things and I would swallow it pretty much holus bolus. I would just take the whole thing um, as it was. I can remember. Um, one day though and it wasn't Barry Smith it was one of his apprentices um, who was involved in the AOG in Australia and I can't remember his name but he um, claimed to have been the former drummer for Rose Tattoo oh okay right so you know and you know how it is that's how it was people would tell those stories yeah um, but he um, he got up one day and he was sharing some fact and the person I was sitting next to said look who, who pushed that forward it's leading evolutionist and he said, isn't it interesting? And the guy sitting next to me said, isn't it interesting? We'll listen to him 
when he says a fact that we want to know. Yeah. But when he talks about evolution, which is his specialty, we don't want to know it. Yeah. You know? So talk about pick and choose the facts, right? Absolutely. Did, did you ever come across Barry Smith yourself? or I, I read his books, watched his videos. Yeah, I never okay. actually saw him live. live oh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't say, oh, I've seen Barry live. Um, <laughs> it's on my bucket touched, list. Touched his robe. No, but he, he's gone now, I think. I think he's passed away. Yeah, um, but yeah. you know what's interesting about him? Was all his books were like, this is it. The titles were like, you know, Final Notice. Yeah. Um, you know, and but then the next one would be like P.S. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or you know, oh, I'm making this up, right? I can't tell you the names of the books, but it was very much like that. It was like Final Notice. Um, here it comes. The next one will be like uh, one more thing. Uh, P.S. You know, quite quite true. It was like that. So he was constantly saying the imminence, the imminence, the imminence. It's about to happen. It's about to happen. Yeah. And then two or three years later, he's publishing another book. Yeah. You know, and and so having to adjust yeah. his story as well. And I think what you know, coming back to this revival center thing, when I was in the revival centers, it was still the Cold War. Yeah. So Russia was a big part of this. Yeah. Um, and and communism and the fight between communism and capitalism, um, and democracy, you know, and all that kind of stuff was a huge part of this. But later on, with the fall of basically of the of the Eastern Bloc and communism, it became less about that yeah and this is before the whole sort of muslim thing broke out and i'm sure you know we can we can come back to that in a minute and talk about the fact that it must be all about muslims now but it was very much about an economic thing yeah when i was in it in the in the assemblies of god yeah. it was about getting a mark of the beast cashless societies um one world order you know this kind of thing new world order yeah, no, it's interesting, isn't it? That's that's definitely the the mark of the beast. Is is definitely that was probably one thing. I remember barcodes. Maybe yeah. everyone was going, look, everything's got a barcode on it now. Mm. You're next. Yeah. Um, and again, it was. I knew uh, a guy who had a barcode tattoo on, on his head. <laughs> oh, really? um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't um, a fundamentalist Christian or anything, but I just remember thinking. Okay. He's ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. Well, you know, I mean, that's not the mark of the beast, but that's what it'll be like, I guess. Yeah. But no, true story, he was a skinhead and he had a a barcode on him. That is brilliant. But, you know, that that was a real thing. And, you know, that was was a huge... Actually, it's probably one thing that was the main thing, actually, when I think about... um, It was the mark of the beast, the cashless society. Mm. Um, So, you know... Because we all had ATM cards and we were told this is the... First step, right? We all get yeah. ATM cards. We'll stop using cash. Yeah. Um, and then it moved on to um, chips. Oh no, marks, marks it and on the hand, and so it was going to be a barcode. It's going to be a tattoo. Yeah. And and this is all based on revolution, Re- revolution, revelation, where it talks about um, that people will get a mark from yes. the beast. Um, but then it sort of morphed uh, in in my you know sort of time toward the end of being a fundamentalist. It morphed into being. Um, chips, computer yeah. chips under the skin. Yep. In the hand or in the forehead, and that was going to actually be our. Yeah, well, you know, technology was there, microchipping your pets. So I'm sure that people were thinking our pets were possibly the first recruits yeah. in the end times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, but you'd hear stories too, like, you know, I don't know how true they were, but you'd hear stories that, oh, in Sweden right now, they're running trials with this chip under the hands, and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. God, I mean, I think Sweden actually, was it something I heard recently, has become the first pretty much completely cashless society. Okay. So, oh, well, there it is. Sorry. Uh, there it is. So, <laughs> well done, Sweden. <laughs> yeah. High five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember um, 
uh, talking to a friend of mine once, it was a girlfriend of mine at the time in, in the church, and she actually said to me, because her, her dad was a pastor and he would preach on the end times, and she said, oh, my dad actually said that there's going to be the mark of the beast, but there's going to be other marks as well. I don't know where he got this from, right? But that was just confusing because yeah. she was like, and you can get those marks. Yeah. You just can't get the mark of the beast. And, and I know that, that they probably just didn't want to lose their ability to spend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, let's, and, and so they were sort of making loopholes for themselves. Yeah. You know? uh, that's, and if you're really literal, you just couldn't name your child Mark, just in case. Did you? <laughs> mark of the beast, right. Yeah, indeed. So it's interesting, though, that the, the stories were revised all the time. Yes. You know, like, like I was saying before, at first it was, you know, a, a tattoo of a barcode and then it became a, you know, a chip. And now where we are is, you know, like you and I are not in this anymore, but they, I, I mentioned that there was the whole Muslim thing, right? So yeah. they must be talking and you could, maybe you're more in touch, but they must be talking about, you know, that the, the Armageddon must now involve, involve Muslims and it have to, right? I, you'd imagine. I mean, I, I haven't heard anything directly um, for for quite a long time, but certainly I have heard people talking about the reality of the uprising of the Muslims, and it'll be a Muslims versus Christians war that will be definitely the end of the world right. sort of thing. Um, and what were you saying? You heard something about the COVID injection being putting yeah the, putting chips into us or yeah, yeah mic- macro micro nano little something. nano yeah, yeah right. um it's a it's a huge thing and um you know i'm still in touch with quite a few people from from the evangelical scene and i've seen a lot of concerning posts from them on social media around their concern about the covid vaccine being very, very much linked to Bill Gates' ability to nanochip us all and be controlled by 5G reception. You know, mm. it's it's that level of paranoia that is just driven there and they're looking to anchor their truth in something. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of evangelicals, a lot of Christians, they need an enemy mm. a lot of the time. They, they don't... It's, it's, and I think something that, about... Look, man, that's not just Christians. That's, that's yeah, the world. Right? That is the world. You need an enemy. I mean, that's what George Orwell said in 1984. You know, we needed to have the 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 other countries or the other blocks that we fight against that's part of the yeah yeah it's a it's a good point right and i think though for evangelicals i mean it's definitely the muslim world i mean i've seen some taunting from um people in the scene from back then in the, who are still hardcore evangelicals putting things on uh, social media about how disgraceful it is wearing a hijab and you know how under um under a shroud of darkness, these people are. I know some beautiful Muslim people and mm. that find the hijab very freeing. And, mm. you know, it's that sort of thing. I just get offended. And um, not that I get offended easy either, but just in that lack of grace, lack of love, you know, everything is seen as an us and them rather than extending grace. You know, if people are living by that grace, then um, they're certainly not showing it, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, it becomes the other. Yeah. Right? And, and they need the other because they've got that, I think it's what's called a dualistic, you know, interpretation of the Bible, a dualistic understanding of their own religion as well. There's us and them. Yeah. And so, yeah, like you said, they need an enemy. And, and you know, any form, any form of social control needs an enemy. We need something to be protected from. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I think it's interesting that they, they do shift this. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I find fascinating about you know that the covid shot is going to be putting nanotechnology in is 
my kids, I mean, I've got teenage kids now, and they get shots all the time yeah. from the government. So if the government wanted to give them nanoparticles in through a vaccine, they could have done it like seven, eight times already. Yeah, yeah, that's You know, right. why do we need uh, this whole sort of COVID thing, you know? Like, it, oh, it seems like an overreaction to try and get nanoparticles into us they could feed us things there's so many different ways it just makes no logical sense no you put something in water supplies i mean it's it's pretty simple but uh, i mean the reality is uh, it's just it's just a whole new level of paranoia the whole covid situation has been twisted around by evangelical groups by many many groups um but evangelicals have certainly launched onto that the whole COVID thing being a conspiracy that it's about government controlling us that it's about bringing in a one world order but you know you say you say it's about a whole new level of paranoia I don't think it is yeah. I think it's the same it's just that we're sitting on the other side going this is fucked yeah and and what I mean by that is I remember just after I came into the AOG um and I started going along to Keswick scripture union bookshop oh, yes, yes and there were books there about the um vitamin conspiracy i remember seeing that and thinking so someone was publishing a book saying that there was some sort of conspiracy around vitamins yeah. and there was another one about cable tv yeah and there okay. was this whole conspiracy around cable tv because the um the the fiber could be used as a camera yes. and all this kind of so and and i we had you know, you and I, I guess, had missed that train yeah. because we came in later, but the remnant of it was still in the bookshops. And I remember thinking to myself, no one, no one's telling me about this. Yeah. You know, but that was part of the whole end times thing as well. It's this control by the government. and Yeah, it's a good, actually, a, a little flashback I just had was a, a guy called Tony Van Brown. I remember going to see him speak and he had a whole yeah. series on... Um, on Star new Wars. Age. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, 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 Star Wars and the New Age. Right, yeah. So, and, and I remember it being a tape set. And I remember I bought the tape set because I loved Star Wars and still love Star Wars. And for me, it was like, oh my God, this is a game changer. If, yeah. if this thing has been influencing me unconsciously, um, I've got to know about it. So for me, it was, uh, yeah, it was an interesting thing. And, you know, Tony has also... Left. Left. And yeah, yeah he, he's definitely... He's now an advocate for um, sexual identity and gay inclusivity and all that kind of stuff. I think he still yeah. works around the Christian scene, trying to get people to be more inclusive and accepting. And, yeah, yeah, and all absolutely. That. And, and funny enough, a gay friend of mine said, that's like, you know, a black guy trying to recruit for white power. Yeah. That's what he actually <laughs> said about it, you know, uh, which is quite point. funny. I think it's more of the same, B. I think that they're doing the same thing, it's just the, the characters are different? Yeah, yeah, it's true, actually. There, there will always be something. And, I mean, if you look back through history, I mean, they've talk, been talking about the end times for nearly 2,000 years. Um, so this, this isn't anything new. I think they're just using the technology platforms as a bit of a justification now and a bit of a reasoning around what's happening. So, yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting time, that's for sure. But I think you're right. We can see it very differently from this side. Mm. Yeah. Look, without opening this too much because we're sort of nearly out of time, but the idea of the end times um, being imminent yeah. is actually in the Bible, yeah. right? In the New Testament, right? That, you know, Jesus said, some standing here will not taste death until they see the, you know, the kingdom come. And he says it twice. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of scholars that basically say Jesus was an apocalyptic prophet yeah. who said that the end times were in his lifetime. And, you know, and you can read some of the stuff that 
Paul wrote and, and some of the other guys in the Bible, um, Bible writers, and it's pretty clear that they really did believe that the end times were, were imminent. Yes. And so what happens for us is that we read this stuff now as, you know, as modern people and we think this is, you know, because we're, we're taught to read the Bible as it's speaking to you now yep. rather than it's actually a product of its context. And so we read that and we say, oh, it says it's coming soon. But, you know, this was part of my deconversion from all this is I can remember I was um, working in a service station. I was working as a youth pastor and yep. I was working in a service station as well. And I remember cleaning up one night and, and I remember just thinking to myself, and I think I might have even prayed. It was just me and, me and myself in, in the servo at the time. Um, and I said, you say you're coming soon, but you said that 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And I've had arguments with Christians about this since, you know, because this was for me, this was actually the straw on the camel's, the broken camel's back. Yeah. This was the final nail in the coffin when I realized, actually, he's a no-show. Yeah. You know, 2,000 years ago, he said he was coming soon. Um, and then his disciples started saying he was coming soon. And so every major, or well, not every major, but every Christian throughout history, pretty much, or every Christian group has believed that they are in the end times. Yeah. Because the seeds were sown then at the very beginning yeah and everyone will find signs when you look around them it's a sucker born every minute and there's a sucker born again every minute. <laughs> that's right yeah. anyway okay well that that's good man I, I i've appreciated the opportunity to chat with you about this it's, it's been good it's been good and and i'm sure that these sort of things will come up in future podcasts because you know even like i had that little flashback about tony van brown things will come up that you you forget about not that you've suppressed it but you just forget about it because i'm getting old yeah that's right yeah. Yeah. all right well i'll see you next week hey? sounds good